It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another week of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can always find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today, we are pretty far away from the next preseason game, so I figure it is appropriate to take a closer look at some of the most interesting things from the last preseason game and, and generally just kind of update ourselves on one of my favorite position battles of all of camp. Right now, it's the Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa battle, and Shamar Stefan will enter that when he is ready to, to go again. Uh, that should be pretty much any day now. But that three-technique position battle has gotten a lot more interesting than I ever thought it would. You know, when I was previewing the uh, the roster, I was kind of like, all right, it's going to be Shamar Stefan. They paid him like he's going to be the starter. And that might still be true, but Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa are both making quite the case to enter into that battle. But before we do that, uh, there's a, a couple of quick little items we have to get out of the way. For one, there was a rumor, it was from Ian Rappaport, that the backup kicker for the Ravens, they are currently having, I guess, a kicking battle, even though Justin Tucker's over there. Uh, Kari Vedvik is having a great camp over there, and apparently teams have started inquiring as to, like, a trade. You probably trade, like, a conditional seventh or something small for that. And according to the, I'm sorry, I misspoke, it's a Schefter report, an Adam Schefter report, uh, he said that two of those calls came from NFC North teams. So we know that two NFC North teams are interested in that backup kicker. Now, if you go through the kicking situations of the NFC North, the Lions and Packers don't really have a reason to like inquire about a, a, a kicking competition, though neither did the Ravens really, and they acquired him in the first place, so maybe that doesn't say much. But basically, it, it, it kind of implies that the, the Bears and the Vikings are going to be like two of the teams calling. And it would make sense for the Vikings to like go look for kicking situations, but there's been a lot of talk about like uh, the kicking situation and, and kind of what's going on with it. We didn't really test it out on the Friday night preseason game because there were no field goals. It was all extra points. Four for four on those for whatever it's worth. But it seems pretty apparent that the holding and the snapping is like the bigger issue. You know, they've been trying out new holders. They have a long snapping battle going on. And it does sound like Kevin McDermott is winning that pretty handily. Austin Cutting has had a couple of bad snaps that have led to Dan Bailey misses. But the point is, it doesn't seem like Dan Bailey really is the, the primary issue. Or to put it a different way, if you did replace Dan Bailey or go bring in competition, that guy would be subject to the exact same problem. So you wouldn't really be able to evaluate either or make a good decision until you figured out your holder situation and you figured out your long snapping situation. So to me, it wouldn't make sense. And I, I don't really like spending draft capital on specialists in the first place. I didn't like it when we drafted Dan Carlson. I didn't really like it when we drafted Austin Cutting. I didn't really like it when we, when we drafted Blair Walsh or Jeff Locke back in the day. I think most of the time there are better, you know, true players available for your offense or your defense or your, your reserves or, or a flyer on some athletic, like an Ole Udo kind of thing. Like you, you, can usually get better options than a specialist that just doesn't add a lot of value to your team compared to what, you know, he would be replaced with if you didn't do that. So I'm definitely not in favor of it, but it is something to monitor because it does sound like reading the tea leaves, the Vikings are interested. And the other thing that I wanted to address was kind of something that comes off of Friday night's game. Obviously, you know, the, the Vikings played a whole first half against their former franchise quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, the guy who was slated to be the franchise quarterback before his leg melted down into some sort of like nuclear waste 
And so it kind of makes sense that that Teddy Bridgewater conversations would follow. And, and listen, we have been talking about Teddy Bridgewater since that 2015 season. That 2015 season was a, a difficult one to evaluate, and therefore it became kind of polarizing. If you liked Teddy, he had a good season. If you didn't like Teddy, he only got 14 touchdowns. So, you know, it, it makes sense that people would kind of be debating that. And since we never really got a follow-up, all of those questions never got answered. So the debates just kind of rage on ad nauseum. And we're far enough removed from it where they're pretty few and far between, but it does make sense that all of those thoughts would be sparked again and and that conversations about Teddy Bridgewater would follow after we just watched him play for a half and look okay. Now, for whatever it's worth, I mean, I was always on the pro-Teddy side of those things. I, I, I thought that he was a smart quarterback. I thought he made the proper decisions. I thought he took what the defense gave him, and that usually was enough to drive the, the team downfield and get into scoring range. And that's what you want from your offense, right? You want to constantly be threatening. And I thought that his low touchdown total was disproportionately affected by a very strong goal line running game that the, that 2015 team used. That was kind of the crux of my opinion there. And I also like Teddy very, like, as a fan. Man, it's I, emotionally, I very much like Teddy, and I wish he could have won that playoff game against Seattle. But I think he was an inspiring person. I, I think that like he inspired me to start covering the team. I was really not uh, somebody who who would like write articles or do research or do any podcasts or anything like that until after that. Blair Walsh missed kick game and what Teddy Bridgewater said after that. So I, I didn't really cover the team until Teddy Bridgewater inspired me to. So yeah, it's going to be like kind of close to my heart, I guess, as a fan. But even if it isn't, even if you were somebody who didn't really like Teddy Bridgewater, I think the thing that like bothers me the most is is the, the discussion that I see of why are we talking about this guy? He's not even a Viking. As if, you know, we can only talk about players who are, are Vikings. I mean, I talk on this show about non-Vikings all the time. I bring up examples from other teams. I talk about, you know, major developments league-wide. I think I covered the Odell Beckham trade when it happened. I would love to talk about the Antonio Brown situation, although I, I covered it a lot when there was like random trade rumors and stuff. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on like league-wide. So talking about non-Vikings players doesn't seem like that big of a, a transgression to me. I think it's only a transgression because he's a former Viking quarterback that somebody doesn't like. Like if you don't like Teddy Bridgewater, you don't want to talk about Teddy Bridgewater. And instead of admitting you just don't want to talk about him because you don't like him, you're going to say, we shouldn't talk about him because he's not a Viking anymore. He's on the enemy team. And usually this kind of coincides. I find that there's a lot of common ground between people who didn't like Teddy and people who are still mad at the Saints over the 09 season. But to that, I kind of bunk it all. Because, like, even if you don't like Teddy, and I definitely respect that opinion. I understand where those people are coming from and what they say. I understand their general argument. Uh, but I, I think that if you don't want to talk about it, I mean, for one, you can just not. It's not that hard. But also, I think you have to kind of be okay with people talking about the former Viking quarterback that sparked a whole bunch of debates, that was just right in front of our eyes for a whole half of preseason football, and looked reasonable. Or at least, you know, looked like the Teddy Bridgewater we all, you know, grew to know in the 2014 and 2015 season. If nothing else, he looked completely 100% healthy and uninjured. So I think regardless of where you fall on the Teddy Bridgewater debate, I think it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about anybody in, in football when you're interested in football. Just because they're a former player or because they're not a member of your favorite team doesn't mean that a discussion about them is unwarranted or irrelevant or off-topic. You know, it's, it's 
often these conversations are happening on social media, a place where you get off topic all the time. So I think policing that is just a flimsy excuse for people who don't like Teddy Bridgewater and don't want to have that conversation, being annoyed by seeing Teddy Bridgewater everywhere just because they don't like him. And to that, I say, eh, get over yourself. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right. So with that out of the way, let's talk about the real uh, point of this podcast, which is to break down Hercules Mata'afa and Jalen Holmes and not only their battle against each other, but their chances in a battle against the proverbial Shamar Stefan, assuming that he returns more soon and that the three technique battle does become kind of a three way race between the two. And it's not going to be just Shamar Stefan getting all the first team reps and that was fun while it lasted. And that kind of brings up another question that we should answer is, is, is it worth doing that? Did they earn first team reps over Shamar Stefan or did they play not well enough and basically they'll just be kind of competing for second team reps or rotating in second team reps? And is, you know, Shamar Stefan still, like, definitely the best guy out there? Now, I did a profile of Shamar Stefan that gives me probably a, a negative bias toward him. If you listen to, there's an episode, I mean, it's titled Shamar Stefan Isn't Good Enough. So, like, it, I, I do not think that he is good enough to be a starter uh, and... and Injury and stuff notwithstanding, I just didn't think that he is good enough to be like your number one guy, every down kind of player. And I think you do need that as a three technique. So I am kind of looking for answers elsewhere, and perhaps that biases me. But I think that the standards of this conversation change, right? This is for who should get first team reps in the preseason, which all you need to do, like the bar you need to cross for that is just showing the potential that maybe you could be worth being a starter. And I think Shamar Stefan crosses that line. I think giving, you know, anointing him with the job is inappropriate, and maybe the Vikings have already done that. But I, I think that, you know, at, at any rate, I like I don't think he's going to come in and suddenly be getting second-team reps and you're going to keep rotating Hercules Mata'afa and Jalen Holmes. I, that would surprise me. But I think no matter what, Shamar Stefan is at least going to be part of the battle and will be able to, you know, defend his spot. And it's a matter of whether or not these two guys have played well enough to join him. So in Friday's preseason game, I went back and I basically just watched the whole first half with just an eye on those two guys. They uh, rotated in the first team reps, just like they would in camp. They they took one series, like they, they switched off series. So Jalen Holmes played the first series and the third series, and Hercules Mata'afa played two and four. And actually, in the fourth series, because it was a two-minute drill, they actually didn't have uh, Jaleel Johnson on, who took all the rest of... He took all of the first-team uh, nose tackle reps, um, which was the entire first half, or at least for him. Most of the starters were out by the, the end of the, the first series, but Jaleel Johnson did play the entire first half 
worth of uh, nose tackle reps. But in that two-minute drill, the Vikings took the nose tackle off the field, which kind of makes sense. If it's going to be no huddle, you don't want, like, the biggest guy. That's probably the worst at cardio out there getting winded. So he, they put on, you know, two quote, like supposedly pass rushing three techniques. This would also kind of imply that Shamar Stefan would leave the field in this situation too, because he is not a pass rusher. He is primarily a run defense guy and fits, you know, better as a nose tackle. In fact, that's kind of what the defensive plan was going to be. It was going to kind of be, you know, two nose tackles on the interior, two big guys will st- will clog up the middle. And I, there was a great article about the athletic or at the athletic about it. If I can find it, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but essentially, clog up the middle and then let everybody else eat in terms of like blitzing linebackers and run support and stuff. And then ha- hopefully the edge rushers will get one-on-one matchups forever. If you have two really big nose tackles in the middle that require double teams. So all this goes to say that the Vikings are definitely not beholden to one nose tackle or one technique and one three technique defensive tackle. And like that's the normal. Uh, but they definitely will like do kind of mixtures of two of one and. Zero of the other and so on uh, and that's what they did on the final two-minute drive after the Amir Abdullah fumble it was Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa next to each other which gave us a really cool opportunity to evaluate them next to each other so that's how like the defense I would say is characterized how these roles look and who fits them the best it then becomes the question so let's start with Jalen Holmes so Jalen Holmes uh he has an opportunity over Hercules Mata'afa because Hercules Mata'afa, is, this is very well documented, he's undersized, he gets washed out all the time. This was didn't change on, on Friday night. He got washed out a bunch, he had trouble, especially in the run game, and, and he got kind of blown off the ball way too often for a defensive tackle. So this represents an opportunity for Jalen Holmes. If he can be less bad at getting blown off the ball, he can then look a lot better next to Hercules Mata'afa. Now on the drive where they were next to each other, it was a two-minute drill, so it was basically all passing reps so you didn't really get to see that but you got to see them both plenty on you know run stopping reps especially uh Jalen Holmes went against the Saints once and the Saints actually did play a number of starters on their offensive line as well as Alvin Kamara so that was really like a, a first team NFL run game they didn't have like Drew Breesen or anything like that or right and you no know, yeah Michael Thomas even played so they played like a lot of their starters in that first team so I would say that it like works as a simulation of you know first team play and in that drive I thought that Jalen Holmes looked ineffective uh, now, he had a great game the rest of the way against the twos and stuff, and I thought he did really well on stunts and executing that, and I thought he did really well, like, penetrating, and he was very productive. Uh, but I, I don't think that he looked very good as just, like, a skilled pass rusher. The thing that bothers me about three techniques, Shamar Stefan does this too, the thing that bothers me against de- about defensive tackles and edge rushers that can't get pressure is that they often don't pass rush with a plan. This is something that coaches will often, will, will you know, tell their, their, like, youth players, you know, go into the rep with a plan for how you're going to get past them. Don't just try to, like, push and get by and kind of improvise. No, go in and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, run upfield and then I'm going to spin, or I'm going to do a rip and then I'm going to, like, bull rush from there. You know, like, come in with a plan and I don't see much of a plan from Jalen Holmes I I really see that you know he he was basically trying to bull rush every snap and it just tells me that he doesn't have much of an arsenal or if he does he's not confident enough in it to use it because if you do use those pass rush moves like swims and rips and spins and you lose you're completely taken out of the rep there is some like risk associated with it but that risk is like always worth it because if you don't use them you're kind of out of the rep anyways so when there wasn't a, a designed blitz package or a design kind of like defensive twist or some other other kind of trick that was meant to spring Jalen Holmes free he he really struggled like he struggled to just win straight up and I thought that that represented an opportunity for him 
to really like ascend above Shamar Stefan because Shamar Stefan also struggles in that same area. And in terms of in the run game, the opportunity to ascend above Hercules Mata'afa, I thought he got washed away just enough to like make it so it's not proof that he's really that much better. Like he was absolutely better at that than Hercules Mata'afa, don't get me wrong. Like he he was better against the run than Hercules Mata'afa. I will say that definitively. But he wasn't better enough. Like he still got washed away a couple times and looked like Hercules Mata'afa a couple times. And like that's his best opportunity to to put distance between him and the guy he's competing with, and I don't think he put enough distance between him to to like pull away in the battle. I think the battle stayed very much even. And if Jalen Holmes can work on that and and be more penetrative in in the run game, or at least just hold his ground a little bit better, then he can pull away from Hercules Mata'afa, because Hercules Mata'afa is not going to fix that problem. That problem is one of physical ability for him, and and so he's basically stuck with that. He has to overcome it, and he can't just fix it, and I think Jalen Holmes can. I think Jalen Holmes, I mean, he has put on a lot of weight. He probably can continue to put on weight and continue to improve over this over the long term, but for now, I, I think that with some adjustments in technique, and if he continues to improve over the course of camp, which is totally possible, I think there is still like a lot of room for him to grow there, and, and that growth would really pay off for him. So before we move on to kind of evaluating more of Hercules Mata'afa, some news has broken just like as I am recording this. Uh, the Vikings cut Tyler Catalina, the, the offensive lineman they cut like last week, or signed like last week, and signed Nate Wozniak, who if you're a Gophers fan, you might remember as a tight end. He is now playing offensive tackle, so he was an undrafted free agent. He went to New Orleans. New Orleans converted him to offensive tackle, and he spent time on their practice squad last year. He was cut after the game against uh, the Vikings. Vikings and the Vikings have now signed him and waived Tyler Catalina, who only graced the team for like a hot second. So uh, I, I don't have much more information than that on the guy right off the bat here. Uh, if something else interesting comes up, of course, I will cover it. Uh, but I, right now, I guess you can just see him as another like converted tight end, which the Vikings have an abundance of at the tackle position. And it kind of makes sense that they would want a more dedicated tackle, whereas Tyler Catalina and Tiano Papungatoa, those guys were kind of, they could play tackle, but they were much more interior guys. The Vikings have plenty of interior depth. They're probably going to be cutting roster players there. So the the idea that they would pick up a more like athletic smaller tackle like Nate Wozniak does kind of make sense. So let's actually talk about Hercules Mata'afa now. So I, I think that Jalen Holmes didn't really do enough to, like if it were just Jalen Holmes, like he didn't do enough to separate himself from Mata'afa or the proverbial Shamar Stefan. But Hercules Mata'afa is such a unique character that he deserves uh, a, to kind of be judged through a different lens because we know that he's always going to be washed out in the run game. And we saw that plenty on Friday night. He would, you know, basically, I mean, anybody who got their hands on him completely could shut him down. Now he's really good at making it hard for you to get your hands on him. And we'll talk about that more in a second. But if you do get your hands on him, you have shut him down. I mean, he is basically like still a little bit linebacker sized and he'll never just like outpower an offensive lineman. I mean, we saw he, he did get the one sack where it looked like he was, you know, pushing the guy back. But if you look at that rep, he really won the leverage battle. He managed to attack just the outside shoulder of that offensive lineman. And then he was able to kind of like push him back because he had the leverage battle. He had the, the lineman at an awkward angle and now strength counts for nothing. And that's technique. That's what you're supposed to do as a defensive lineman. So it is a very good rep, but it wasn't a power rep. And I think that kind of characterizes what Hercules Mata'afa has to do to, like, win this job. Or, or at least, I mean, for him, it's still, you know, get a roster spot, which I think he's pretty close to just locking up all, all together. And then it starts, you know, 
to become about if you can get rotational reps or if you can start like actually, you know, working your way into the lineup a little more often. But he right now to, to improve that much and to start to kind of, you know, lock away the roster spot and start setting your sights on actual like regular season playtime. You have to, he, he basically has to overcome his strength issue by winning the technique battle every single rep. Any rep he loses the technique battle, he does not get to win via the strength battle. Like, I think Jalen Holmes probably can't. I think, I think he's just a little bigger, and therefore, if he gets, you know, if he loses the leverage in the technique and he doesn't, you know, his swim move doesn't get by the guy, he can maybe just push him back. Hercules Mata'afa does not have that luxury. He has to win the technique battle. So how good is his technique? I actually think it is a starting quality technique that I saw from him. And and remember, I, I am aware that he was going up against second team offensive linemen. So the fact that he won or lost a rep doesn't really tell you as much because of strength of competition, but you can still watch and see like, was that a good swim move? Did he like do that correctly? You know, did, did he get the leverage correctly? And I thought for one, his pad level was really, really nice. I really liked that he rushed with a low pad level. I really liked that his, you know, his arms were very violent. His moves were very violent. He had, he seemed to use a variety of pass rush moves moves and that is all stuff that has nothing to do with his like general quickness which he was very often the first guy off of the snap which is a very very good thing you know shades of of Sharif Floyd not quite that intense Sharif Floyd was insane but you know that that like being the first guy to move of of the whole defense is always like a good thing as long as you're not false starting or jumping off sides the defensive one and I think he genuinely has the advantage over the other two defensive tackles he will be the quickest guy off the snap of of those three and I don't even think that it's close uh, but you know th- he has to he has to have those kinds of things to make up for his deficiencies elsewhere. So I think all in all with Mata Afa, the the kind of way that you have to describe him is that he has a lot of deficiencies, and to be a viable player, he has to be like so good at this, this, and that. And I think he is just that good at this, this, and that to be worth, I mean, of course a roster spot, but to be worth considering over somebody who has, you know, kind of the opposite deficiencies. I tweeted uh, earlier, kind of after I did the Shamar Stephanie, after I saw Hercules Mata'afa in camp, uh, I basically said that Shamar Stefan plus Hercules Mata'afa equals one starting quality three technique. And I still definitely believe that. And I think ultimately the answer to this will probably end up being some sort of rotation, uh, much like they do with the defensive ends. You know, Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter are the absolute starters, but there's people that rotate in all the time. You have situational rotation. They do that with Linval Joseph already. As good as Linval Joseph is as a nose tackle, they're not going to put him in on third and 14. There's not much he can do there. Uh, so, I, and I think the three technique is going to kind of be a, more of a situational thing, depending on the down and distance this player or that player go, go, goes in. And if, you know, you reasonably predict like run or pass or what the other team is going to do based on the down and distance, if they do zig when you think they were going to zag, you know, if they decide to run a draw play on third and 10, well, now you just kind of entice them to run a draw play on third and 10. So I'm not quite worried about them, you know, like catching us in the wrong personnel. What I'm most worried about is who do you put in on first and 10 when it could be a run, it could be a pass, it could be a bunch of or second and like six, where it could be a bunch of things. The whole playbook is open. You know, who do you put in? And and I think that that is the question that we still need to answer, and we'll see more answers to it once Shamar Stefan comes in. But ultimately, I do think that both Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'ava have played their way into the conversation. I think that this is a competition now, and I didn't think that before. And I, and I think that a strong camp from both of them and a strong preseason debut from both of them has kind of propelled them into the conversation for the actual starting job. And I think that both of them are very close to guaranteeing themselves a roster spot, which is also something I did not say about them before 
camp even started. When I did my initial roster tiers, I had both Jalen Holmes and Hercules. I had Hercules Mud off in the long shot tier, and I had Jalen Holmes in the roster bubble tier. Both of them have now moved up. I think I have them in the backup tier right now just because I, I wasn't quite comfortable saying Shamar Stefan is going to lose his job uh, just because he hasn't played yet. And I, I probably will when he plays unless he like super excels, but I kind of want to see what the team does with him if they give him all the first team reps or if it continues to be a rotation before I actually like make that move. So I haven't done it yet, but I'm definitely thinking about it. But ultimately, I think they all characterize themselves in such different ways that they kind of have their own rotational places on the roster. And perhaps this battle becomes kind of like Mike Hughes and Mackenzie Alexander were last year, where they just rotated and kept each other fresh. I mean, you have Jalen Holmes, I think is kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type. I mean, he he's good enough in the run game, but he's not as good at Shamar Steven, but he's, uh, as Shamar Stephen, but he's better than Hercules Mata'afa. He's not as good of a pass rusher as Mata'afa, but he's better than probably Shamar Stephen, who's a pretty bad pass rusher. I think that, that he kind of, like, occupies a middle space, where then you have Hercules Mata'afa, who's a 100% pass rusher, you know, quick, very difficult. He's he's very good. At, oh, I said I would talk about this. He's very good at making it difficult for you to get your hands on him as an offensive lineman. He kind of can turn his shoulders, and then your frame is small. And that's kind of like, like if you long arm, you do that. He doesn't really long arm. He's just like very quick and very shifty. And he's very good at positioning his body so that you can't just stick your arms straight out and get all the leverage you want on him. He either keeps his pad level low or he's very good at rushing to the side and attacking, you know, your inside or your outside shoulder. That's something that you're supposed to do is like attack one shoulder. Don't try to attack both because then you're attacking the guy where he's like physically at the strongest angle, you know, make him push with only one shoulder and now you have an advantage. And he's very, very good at doing that. So like a lot of the pressure that he got and the sack that he got were because, you know, the offensive lineman isn't pushing on him straight. So the leverage isn't the same and and his lack of strength now no longer counts for as much and he can get the pass rush there. But that doesn't work so much in the run game. He did knife through some gaps sometimes and like, you know, have some disruptions that way. But on the whole, I mean, if it is a, a down where you expect them to run the ball, I don't think Hercules Mata'afa, like if Hercules Mata'afa gets caught on a run play, he is immediately a liability. And you better hope that the down and distance means that if you give up four or five on this run play because the three tech is a liability, it doesn't mean that they've converted because you had the wrong guy on the field. And I think the same the same thing applies to Shamar Stefan. You know, if it is third and 10, you better hope that not the lack of interior pressure that you're going to get from Shamar Stefan means you know, doesn't mean that now they get to convert and they get all the time in the world and they can convert that third and 10 on your very good secondary because that would basically be a waste of a whole bunch of other assets. And that's something that I talked about in detail in that previous episode. And what I'm truly curious to see, and I think this will be kind of telling to see if the Vikings are on the same page as me on all of these things, is that like what happens on obvious passing situations when everybody is healthy? Do they still go, you know, Holmes and Mata'afa? Those would be the guys right now if you decide that Linval Joseph and Shamar Stefan are incapable of, of pass rushing or, you know, are, are not as useful on obvious passing downs. They already do that with the nose tackle. And do they see Shamar Stefan as a second nose tackle or as a pass rush deficient three technique. And I actually don't know the answer to that question. I'm very interested to see what they do in an obvious passing situation when everybody is healthy. I would put Holmes and Mata'afa out there again. I think that gives you the best chance. Um, I also still kind of think, you know, on the whole, that this isn't good enough. I, I really think that the team could use a more defined starter at the position, somebody who is good enough at all the things to play at a starting quality level. And I don't think they have anybody who is a starting quality player at every facet you would want a three technique defensive tackle to have. I think they have two starting quality nose tackles. They have two good rotational 
three techniques, but they don't have a starting quality three technique. And I think that that's a concern that's going to carry over into the season and affect the defensive performance of the team. We're going to miss Sheldon Richardson in a word. So lots of stuff to keep an eye on throughout the rest of camp, the, the last kind of moments of camp and the, uh, the rest of the preseason. For now, though, I am going to sign off. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Once again, I am your host, Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can always find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. If you don't like any of those services, you can always just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, skull. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.